Amen. Let's praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Can we give him a clap offering? He is worthy. I am truly honored to join a team of men who are truly faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ and God's people. Uh, it is a delight for me. It's an honor to serve in this way. If you have your Bibles, can you turn with me to Luke chapter 24? Hopefully the children have their Bibles as well, because this is a word for you as well. Luke chapter 24, starting at verse 13. When you get there, say amen. If you're not going to get there, say go on without me. Verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that has happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes. And besides all this, it is now the third day since all these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found that just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them and all the scriptures con things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, he acted as if he was going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward the evening, and the day is now far spent. So we went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together and saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, we love you, and we pray even now that we would 
see Jesus in his word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last Sunday, we celebrated the empty tomb as Pastor Tim talked about Jonah being swallowed up in the belly of a big fish and vomited on land the third day, that this was a sign that Jesus would die for us, be buried in the earth, and be risen on the third day. Now, as I wrestled with what God would have me to share this afternoon, I was arrested by Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35, and how it reintroduces us to the risen Christ. My message is this, meeting Jesus after the resurrection. Meeting Jesus after the resurrection. Have you ever had a meeting Jesus all over again moment? I know I have. I want you to travel with me on a road to Emmaus, seven-mile journey headed northwest from Jerusalem. And as we're traveling, we see two men deeply engrossed in conversation. Their faces look so sad and dejected. They were devastated and disillusioned. Just three days earlier, they witnessed their fearless leader, Jesus, being portrayed betrayed, crucified, and buried. They had heard the reports from Mary and Peter and John of how his tomb was empty. Perhaps in their minds, they thought his body was stolen, but who could do such a thing? They had lots of questions. They were overcome by grief and sorrow, and all they could think about is, he's dead. No promised Messiah to sit on the throne of David, no hope of escaping the crushing burden of Roman government. And then suddenly it happens. While they were engrossed in deep and animated conversation around the death of the Messiah, a complete stranger joins them on the road to Emmaus. And this is what jumps out to me right away. If you're going to meet Jesus after the resurrection... You have to look for him. Turn to the person next to you and say, you have to look for him. You have to look for him. Secondly, not only do you have to look for him, but you have to learn from him to find Christ in all the scriptures. Tell your neighbor, say, learn from him. Thirdly, not only do you have to look for him and learn from him, but you also have to let him into your life for real. Turn to your neighbor and say, let him in. If you're going to meet Jesus after the resurrection, you have to look for him. Looking for the risen Christ must be intentional and deliberate. You see, Luke records in the beginning of this chapter, verses 1 through 12, that Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, went looking for Jesus, hoping to embalm his deceased body with spices. It was customary and an honorable thing to do for the deceased. And to their surprise, they discovered that the stone was rolled away from the tomb and Jesus' body wasn't in there. Suddenly, they were greeted by two angels in dazzling apparel. Not from Urban Outfitters, though. <laughs> and captured with awe, these two women bowed their faces to the ground and the angels then said to them or asked them a very important question. 
Little children, tell me, what question did these angels ask these women? Someone said, what was it? Come on, yell it out. What was the question? Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is what? He he is not here. He has risen. So they went looking for him. And then they're reminded about Jesus' prediction of his death, burial, and resurrection and commissioned to tell this great news to the 11 apostles who had barricaded themselves behind closed doors for fear of the Jews, killing them as well. They did not believe these women's testimony, despite the fact that there are a number of them and all of them can't be making up this story. But anyway, Peter and John decided to see if it was really true. So they ran to the tomb looking for Jesus. And they went looking for him. And when they arrived at the tomb, they went inside and did not find Jesus. Peter went home amazed, but no one at this point believed that Jesus rose from the dead as he predicted he would, except these women. What intrigues me about this passage is this. What intrigues me is how Jesus singles out two ordinary followers who, by the way, weren't looking for him. In fact, the scriptures tell us that Jesus went looking for them. Aren't you glad Jesus went looking for them? Aren't you glad that Jesus went looking for you, even when you weren't looking for him? That's the gospel. He sought them even as a shepherd seeks lost sheep. So it's interesting that these two guys who were just on the fringes of Jesus' ministry, they were associates of the apostles, but didn't really know Christ intimately. They were on their way home, but they were still lost. It says in verse 13, that very day that two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that have happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Here's the problem. They saw Jesus, but they didn't really see him. We struggle with that, don't we? You see, really, these disciples did not meet Jesus right away because they were kept from recognizing him and they weren't looking for him. And just like the undercover boss, Jesus goes undercover, avoiding detection in order to teach these disciples a very powerful lesson about who he is. And as we will see, that Jesus is very intentional and deliberate about when he reveals himself to these disciples. And in fact, not only were they not looking for Jesus, they assumed that Jesus was a pilgrim passing through, a total stranger. Not only that, but they thought that Jesus was, was dead as far as they were concerned. Look at verse 17. Jesus jumps in their conversation and says, what is this conversation you're holding with each other as you walk? And as they stood still looking sad, then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem 
who does not know the things that have happened these days? Cleopas answered, responded, and said, Are you serious? Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know about what's happened? Are you kidding me? How did Jesus respond? Did Jesus say, oh, foolish ones, I, of course I know. I know exactly what happened to me. I know you're the one, you're referring to me. I'm the one who was crucified. I'm the one that they buried and rose again on the third day. And look, I'm alive. Did Jesus say that? No. Jesus says, what things? As a master teacher using his humor, humor, he teases out their thoughts around the suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he said to them, what things? So they elaborated for the stranger several of the facts that took place just days earlier. But notice what was missing in their message. Verse 19. And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. And yes, besides all this, it is now the third day since all these things have, have happened. Moreover, some of the women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen an angel, a vision of angels, who said to them that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women have said, but him they did not see. These two disciples wanted someone to fit their expectations of a king. These followers of Christ failed to realize who Jesus really is. You see, Jesus is more than a mighty prophet in a series of prophets. He's not just a prophet speaking for God. Jesus is God in the flesh. Tell the person next to you, look for Jesus. Not the Jesus you want, but the Jesus who is. Not only... Is Jesus more than a mighty prophet, but Jesus is more than an earthly king. They wanted somebody to meet their earthly expectations of a king, to overthrow the Roman government and sit on the throne of David. David, But Jesus shattered their expectations. Last week I ran into a guy I was sharing the gospel with, and he was, he was a cool guy, new age thinker, and our subject was Jesus. And he looked at me and said, man, I could never follow Jesus. Especially not the Jesus of the Bible. I said, why? Because he's too soft. I said, soft? What do you mean? Doesn't Jesus say, turn the other cheek? Like, why would I do that if I'm in a conflicting situation? Why would I turn the other cheek? Man, no, I would never follow Jesus. I said, well... Which Jesus are you talking about? So, well, I'm talking about the same Jesus you're talking about. No, you're not talking about the Jesus I'm, I believe in. The Jesus that I follow is anything but soft. He's loving, but he's not soft. Have you read the book of Revelations? No. Which Jesus are you talking about? So you're saying there's more than one Jesus? Uh, well, there's an American Jesus. 
There's a Jesus in my image and in my likeness. There's a, G there's a, there's a, a Kanye West Jesus. Jesus walks with me. There's a Madonna Jesus as she sings from the cross halfway naked. Which Jesus are you talking about? Because the Jesus that I believe in is not soft. He is a lion of the tribe of Judah. And the scripture tells us one day that Christ will come with blazing eyes and a sword coming out of his mouth. We'll take out punishment for everyone that does not believe in Jesus Christ. That's serious. He's not soft. And the conversation ended. We have to be intentional and deliberate about looking for Jesus, not the Jesus that we want. They said, as the chief priests, our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death, and they crucify him, but we had hope that he was the one to redeem Israel. Notice what's missing from their conversation. They didn't mention him as the Messiah, as the king. We was hoping that he was the one. Past tense. We were, we were hoping. We no longer believe it. Which Jesus do you believe in? These two failed to realize that Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. Jesus says, if I wanted to, I can call legions of angels at my beck and command to fight for me. But my kingdom is not of this world. There is no kingdom rule without the cross. There is no glory without suffering death. Jesus defeated death once and for all. You see, they talked about Jesus as if he was defeated, but Jesus defeated Satan on the cross. Victory is won. Satan is crushed. These rulers were only pawns on God's proverbial chessboard. No one took his life. He laid it down. He has the power to take it up again. Jesus is risen. Facts. Y'all going to get that later. These followers of Christ had too much evidence not to believe in him as the risen Christ. They had the testimony of the empty tomb. They had the witnesses of these women who seen the angels informing them that he is risen. They had the testimony of Peter and John who confirmed that the tomb was indeed empty. Even John records material evidence found in the tomb. The head napkin wrapped around Jesus' head was folded, sitting there. What grave robber would have enough sense to sit there and fold the napkin while he's still in the body? Doesn't make sense. What more could they have wanted? They had evidence that the man's verdict, Jesus is risen, but they didn't believe it. I'll never forget the time I was in seminary and I was studying my systematic theology book. You talk about that Jesus moment. Anyone had that Jesus moment before? And while I was sitting there reading my systematic theology book, I came across the subject of Christ. And my heart was so overwhelmed at that point, I shut my book immediately, I shut the Bible, and I started headed back towards my dorm. And as I was walking, tears were filling my eyes, and I was just overwhelmed, overcome with joy in my heart. And a student saw me and said, what's wrong, you okay? I said, yeah, I feel so much joy in my heart. Because Jesus actually is real. He walks with me and talks with me. This is not a hymn. This is for real. He doesn't just live inside you. Jesus is real. The risen Christ is living. 
Our faith is riding on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. Jesus is living. Jesus is real. I was overcome with joy. We're going to meet Christ after the resurrection. You have to look for him. Not only do you have to look for him, but, but you also have to learn Christ. Learn Christ to find him in all the scriptures. Everybody say all. all. Last time I checked in the Greek, all means all. All scripture is given by inspiration of God is profitable for reproof, for correction, for instruction, for training in righteousness that the man of God, woman of God, child of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All scripture. Notice why Jesus, watch this, rebukes these disciples. They failed, verse 25 to 27, they failed to believe the scriptures. They just didn't get it. They failed to understand the heart of the gospel. O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the scriptures, all the scriptures concerning himself. And in a stern rebuke, he asked them a rhetorical question. Was it not necessary for Christ to suffer and enter into his glory? Christ corrects their way of thinking about him. You see, these two disciples were just going through the motions. They had bits and pieces of information about Christ being glorified and reigning as king over Israel, but they refused to believe the bad stuff. The need for Christ to die on the cross for us and rise on the third day to reign over us. They had what I call a golden corral theology. A golden corral buffet theology. Anybody know what golden corral is? You ever been there before? What do you do when you go to golden corral? Well, what you do is you go and you kind of pick and choose what you like, right? Just the other day, we were out with the elders and went to a, a buffet. I pick what I want, and if I didn't like it, guess what I did? I didn't go back and get the same thing. I skipped over. And that's what a golden corral theology is. They actually wanted all the beautiful things about Jesus reigning as king over Israel, but they didn't want to accept the fact that this king was going to die on the cross for their sins. They skipped over the bad stuff. They had an anemic and deficient theology, a pick-and-choose Theology and pass over the stuff that you don't like. You see, they missed Jesus' predictions about his suffering and resurrection. And on several occasions, one of the most astounding predictions Jesus made was this. Destroy this temple, and in three days, I will rebuild it. Jesus was not talking about a physical geographical location or a temple. Jesus was talking about his own body. But they missed it. And as a master teacher, Jesus gives them a biblical survey of the Old Testament scripture, crash course in typology and foreshadowing of the Old Testament. Foreshadowing of Christ in the Old Testament. And this is the first expositional sermon ever preached after his resurrection. It's the first one. Christ in all the scriptures. 
He took them back to the beginning and walked them through all the scriptures. Luke tells us that Jesus started with Moses. In other words, he started with the book of Genesis. You remember how the sin of Adam and Eve and how God had promised the offspring of the woman would crush Satan's head and that Satan would bruise his heel? That was referring to Christ. You recall how God promised that one of Abraham's descendants will bless all the nations of the world? That's Christ. You remember the Passover lamb in the book of Exodus and how the lamb was to be perfect with no broken bones and it was offered for the sins of the people? That was a foreshadowing of Christ. You remember in the book of Deuteronomy how the Lord promised to raise up a prophet like Moses? You recall of the prophecies from Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was in this psalm that spoke of the piercing of his hands and his feet and the casting of lots for his clothing. That was referring to Christ. You recall in Isaiah chapter 7 that the Messiah would be born to a virgin and they will call his name Emmanuel, God with us. What about in Isaiah chapter 53, the prophet predicted that the Messiah would be despised and rejected and he would carry the sins of the people like a lamb to the slaughter. That was referring to Christ. You remember that prophecy in Micah that the king would be born in Bethlehem. You remember the prophecy in Zechariah concerning the Messiah entering into Jerusalem riding on the donkey. That was referring to Christ. Over and over again, he will be preceded by Elijah the prophet. He will be called the Son of God, Psalm 2, verse 7. He will be called a Nazarene. He will bring light to the Gentiles. He will heal the brokenhearted, Isaiah chapter 61. He will speak in parables, Psalm 78. He will spend time in Egypt, Hosea chapter 11. He will be betrayed, Psalm 41. He will be spit upon and struck, Isaiah chapter 50. Christ fulfills every one of these prophecies to the minute detail. Imagine the Lord taking you back through the Old Testament scriptures. And as you listen to these words, your heart began to burn for him. Let me ask you a question. When you read the scriptures, do you see words or do you see him? Let that sink in for a moment. Paul made it very clear, without the resurrection, discernment ends. And everyone goes home, home, and there's no point whatsoever having any hope if Christ is not risen. Yet Christ is risen indeed. Christ is our living hope. He is the risen hope. Below somebody. That means we ought to be rejoicing, not gloomy. Learn from Christ to find him in all the scriptures. See, when we read it, we read scripture deeply and study it well enough that we end up seeing him. And many days will come when you will only see words, but keep wrestling and reading through it over and over and over again and keep studying it over and over and over again. Immerse yourself in it. Pray through each passage until you see Jesus. Soak yourself in every page until you see yourself transported to those dusty roads with Jesus and his disciples as they travel. Until you see yourself sitting at that table while he's breaking the bread. Imagine yourself in the body of that unnamed disciple, deeply engrossed in conversation with Jesus. Learn Christ in all the scriptures. Lastly, not only do we need to look for him, 
We have to learn from him to find Christ in all the scriptures. But lastly, if you're going to meet Jesus after the resurrection, you have to let him into your life. Turn to the person next to you and say, let him in. As they drew near to the village to which they were going, he acted as if he were going a little bit farther. I love this about Jesus, sense of humor. But they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us. For it is toward the evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and broke it and blessed it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open, and they recognized him. And, and he vanished from their sight. After spending hours learning from Christ, something was happening on the inside of these followers. Suddenly, Jesus was no longer a stranger to them, but they couldn't figure out who he was. Luke says that they urged him strongly to come into their home. Home is the place where you kick back, you kick your, she your shoes off, and you let your hair down. You walk around in PJs, and you hang out in your man cave, or you hang out at the refrigerator, or you hang out in the kitchen fellowshipping with loved ones at your table, watching a movie or sports, playing games, spending hours on a phone or reading a book. This is where things get real personal. They invited Jesus into their home. My prayer is that we would invite Jesus to come into every aspect of our lives, every part of our home, every aspect of our workplace, every part of our ministry engagement would be saturated with the presence of Christ. Let's pray for Jesus to stay with us, to abide with us, to be Emmanuel, God with us. And you notice here that Jesus waits for the invitation. He goes a little bit farther and waits for them to invite. He doesn't force his way into our lives, does he? God is a, Jesus is a gentleman. See, inviting Jesus in is a choice that must be made, but he's not going to force it. It's a choice, though, that changes everything for the better. It really does, doesn't it? Just ask Zacchaeus, the rich, little, wee little man who climbed up a tree to see Jesus. Just ask Simon the Pharisee who invited Jesus into his home and criticized that woman who anointed his feet with perfume in her tears. Just ask Martha who invited Jesus into her home, but Mary was the one that sat at his feet and listened to his words. Or ask Matthew who invited Jesus into his home and threw a party for him the very next day, inviting all of his friends. Ever since I invited Jesus in my life at the age of 18, my life has never been the same because Christ changes everything. Not a dead Christ, but the living Christ. And he doesn't come into your life just simply to move around and shift the furniture around. Jesus overhauls your life. Doesn't he? He changes everything. If we really believe that Jesus has risen from the dead, then everything changes from this point on. But if he has not risen, then the service is over. There is no baptism. There is no coming back next, next Sunday. We celebrate on Sunday because Jesus what? Rose on Sunday. Jesus is not going to force entry into our lives. So let me ask you a question. 
In Revelation chapter 3, he says, I stand at the door and I do what? What are we to do? How are we to respond to that? He says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone is there, then let me in. I will come in and sup with you. I'll have dinner with you. I'll break bread with you and you with me. But he's not going to force entry. So my question is, have you really let Jesus in your life for real? Not, not play, not, I'm not, not, seriously, for real, little ones. Are you just here because mommy and daddy made you come? Well, you have no choice in the matter, right? But really, do you want to invite Jesus into your life? Do you want to have a real relationship with Christ? In just a moment, we're going to celebrate four baptisms. That's going to be a glorious moment to see them baptized into that water, symbolizing death to the old life, risen to the new life. Do you know that every time we talk about this church, we talk about the resurrection? Did y'all know that? What church do you go to? If they ask you, some of your friends at your, your school, at your job, which church do you go to? Risen Hope Church. Who is the Risen Hope? Jesus is the Risen Hope. So the question is, will you let him into your life right now? Will you deliberately and intentionally look for, for him? Will you learn from him to find him in all the scriptures? And will you let him into your life? The scripture says that when they let him into their home, suddenly Jesus becomes the host, no longer the guest. He takes the bread like he's the host and breaks the bread and serves them. And in that moment, they remembered, they jogged their minds back to the time when Jesus fed the multitude with two fish and five loaves of bread, multiplication. They remember the time when Jesus, at the Last Supper, broke the bread and gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body. Remember that it was broken for you. And just then, Jesus appeared before them. Their eyes were open. And the scripture says, Jesus disappeared. And what really just intrigued me the most about this passage and really challenged me, I asked myself the question, why would Jesus wait several hours later to reveal his identity to them? Jesus did it so that they would come to know him through the scriptures. Thomas, he said to Thomas, watch this, Thomas, you believe because you see, but blessed are those who believe but do not see. The apostle Peter says, we love him even though we do not see him. And what amazes me is that when you make this decision to let Jesus come into your life, some people are going to think that you're weird. That you're really odd. In fact, they may deem you as crazy. That's okay. Because the Father is pleased with your commitment. Christians are considered by many to be crazy. And as the late Dr. A.W. Tozer suggests with good reason, a Christian is an odd number anyway. 
He feels supreme love for the one he has never seen. He talks familiarly every day to the one, someone he cannot see. He expects to go to heaven on the virtue of another. He empties himself in order to be full. He admits that he is wrong so that he can be declared right. He goes down in order to get up. He is the strongest when he is the weakest. He is the richest when he is the poorest. He dies so that he can live. He forsakes so that he can have. He gives away so that he can keep. He sees the invisible, hears the inaudible, and knows that which passes knowledge. We are an odd number. So my question to you is that we wrap this up. Are you going to invite Jesus to come into your life? I heard someone make this statement. I'm so committed to Jesus that I'm going to ride with Jesus until my wheels fall off. I want to ride with him until my wheels fall off. I want to ride with Jesus until, listen, I want him to get every bit of knowledge out of me. But it's not about him just using him. Jesus wants to come into your life and save you. If you've never come to know Christ as your Lord and Savior, I only got a couple minutes, but I want you to right now, if you have never responded to Christ, I want to challenge you right now to surrender yourself to Jesus, little one, because he loves you. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believe in him will not perish, will not go to hell, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. If you're here and you've never surrendered to Jesus, you never let him come into your life. You don't know him personally. Guess what? I got good news for you. Jesus is here for you right now. He's extending the invitation to you. They said, did not our hearts burn as the Lord spoke to us in a way? And I really believe this in all my heart, that when we are exposed to the beauty of Christ and his glorious purpose through the exposition of his word, we're going to get so excited about Jesus that we're going to want to share him with other people. A burning heart always leads to a bold witness. Look how the passage closes. It says, and they rose that same hour that their hearts were burning and returned to Jerusalem and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told what had happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. When you truly have a burning heart for this glorious Christ, it leads to a bold witness for him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, we love you, we glorify you. May this word take root in our hearts for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.